0: Rural areas surely do have a lot of weird stories coming from them. I grew up in rural areas my entire life. Whether it was on farms or just living in the middle of nowhere, it was definitely interesting on a daily basis. Whether I was being chased by wild animals, seeing strange people do strange things, or just wild and unexplainable things in the night sky, the rural areas of the country definitely have no shortage of horror stories. Welcome back to The Swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today, we're going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true horror stories from rural areas sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have stories that you would like to submit in a future episode, be sure to send them in at SwampDweller.net or on Reddit at r TheDarkSwamp. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, let's jump into these allegedly true and downright creepy rural horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. The Green Briar Werewolf by... Anonymous AI Greenbrier's quiet, peaceful farm community stood an old, creaky house at the end of a long dirt road. It was a house that had been abandoned for years, but the locals whispered stories about strange noises that could be heard coming from the place at night. They spoke of howling that sounded like no animal they had ever heard and footsteps that could be heard even though nobody was there but the most frightening thing they have talked about was the werewolf monster rumored to be lurking in the shadows. One family, known as the Hamiltons, had recently moved to Greenbrier and purchased the old house, eager to restore it to its former glory. It was a beautiful home with a large garden and plenty of land, perfect for their three children to play and explore. But from the moment they arrived, strange things began to occur. Now, on the first night, they heard howling. It was a sound unlike they had ever heard before, echoing through the fields and into the bedroom window. Mrs. Hamilton thought it was just a pack of wild dogs, coyotes, maybe even wolves, but Mr. Hamilton knew better. He had heard the stories about the werewolf monster that lurked in these parts, and he began to worry that they had made a terrible mistake moving into this house. The next night, the footsteps began. The Hamiltons were all in the living room watching TV together when they heard the sound of someone walking around upstairs. But when they went to investigate, there was nobody there at all. They searched the entire house up and down, but there was no sign of anyone or anything. That's when they realized the rumors were true. The werewolf monster was indeed haunting their home. As the days passed, the family became more and more terrified. They would find scratches on the doors and windows, and occasionally they would catch a glimpse of something moving in the shadows. The werewolf monster was getting bolder and was no longer content to stay hidden. One night, while the family was sitting for dinner, they heard a loud banging on the front door. Mr. Hamilton cautiously approached the door and peered through the peephole. What he saw made his blood run cold. Standing on the porch was a hulking, hairy creature with glowing eyes and sharp claws. It was the werewolf monster they had all come to fear, and it had come to claim its next victim in the flesh. The Hamiltons ran to the back door, but it was far too late at this point. The werewolf monster had already smashed through the front door and chased them through the house. They ran from room to room, trying to find a hiding place, but the werewolf was always one step behind them. They could hear its growls and heavy breathing as it closed in on them. In the end, the Hamiltons were lucky to escape with their lives. They left the house and never, ever looked back, leaving the old creaky house to be tormented by the werewolf monster for eternity. From that day forward, the locals would tell stories about the cursed place at the end of the long dirt road, warning anyone who dared to come near. They say that on some nights you can still hear the howling and footsteps and see the glowing eyes of the werewolf monster in the shadows of the home. My Cattle Are Vanishing by Concerned Farmer 308 I've spent my whole life tending to my farm, which has always been peaceful and simple. But in recent days, things have taken a sinister turn. It all started with my cattle vanishing, one by one, leaving no clues as to what could have been happening to them. I searched the fields, the forest, and even the nearby towns, but there was no sign of them, and no sign that they were being stolen or anything like that. You know? At first, I really did think it must have been the work of some wild animals, but I couldn't find any tracks or signs of struggle. It was as if they had been plucked from the earth and taken away. Every day I became more and more on edge, if I'm honest, never knowing when the next cow would disappear. Then, strange things started happening at night around my home. I would hear strange noises from the barn, and when I would go to investigate, there would never be anything there. But I couldn't shake the feeling that something was always watching me. Something dark, something evil. It all came to a head one night when I was doing my nightly check on the cattle. I heard a low growling sound coming from the darkness, and my heart leapt into my throat. I knew it wasn't an animal. No wild animal I have ever seen could sound like this. The sound was too deep, too ominous. And then I saw it. A massive figure appeared from the shadows its eyes glowing like molten fire. It was unlike anything I had ever seen, a hulking beast covered in matted fur with teeth as long as my fingers. It snarled at me, and I I damn near froze in terror. I knew then that I was no match for this creature. I began to run back to my house as fast as I could, but I could hear it following me close behind, its growls growing louder and more ferocious with every passing moment. I locked myself inside my house and prayed for safety, but deep down, I knew this was only the beginning. This creature wanted something from me, and I didn't know if I could escape its wrath. As the sun began to rise, I knew I would have to confront it, face my fears, and find a way to protect my farm and my life. But for now, I could only wait and hope that I would make it through the night alive. I haven't experienced it in quite a few nights now, so I don't know if it's gone or if it's just planning to come back. I'd love to know any advice in the comments. Violent Poltergeist, by Peggy A. I had always loved the quiet solitude of rural life, so when I inherited my grandparents' old farm home I thought I had found my paradise. But little did I know that the peace and tranquility I craved would soon become a nightmare. It started with little things at first. I could easily brush off as coincidences or forgetfulness. Doors I had closed would be found open, objects that I had left in one place would be moved to another, and strange noises would come from the walls at night. I tried to convince myself that it was just my imagination, but as the days went by, the disturbances became more frequent and uh, violent. One night, I was awakened by the sound of shattering glass. I got up to investigate and found a vase on a shelf had been hurled across the room, smashing against the wall. I was alone in the house, so no one else could have done it. The thought of something evil living in my home sent chills down my spine. The disturbances continued with increasing frequency and intensity. Furniture would move by itself, doors would slam shut, and I could hear disembodied voices whispering in my ear. I felt like I was being watched constantly, and I never let my guard down at all. One night, as I was lying in bed, I felt a cold breath on the back of my neck. I turned around, but no one was there. Suddenly, the bed shook violently, and I was thrown to the floor. I could hear laughter, but no one else was in the room with me at the time. The poltergeist attack continued to escalate, though. Knives would fly out of the counter. Plates would smash against the wall, and chairs would move all around the house. The house was filled with oppressive evil energy, that seemed to grow stronger every single day. One night, I was awoken by footsteps coming from the hallway. I grabbed a flashlight and investigated, but no one was there. Suddenly, I was rushed by a cold, clammy sensation. Something felt like it grabbed my ankle and was trying to drag me, and I fell to the ground. I could see a shadowy figure standing over me, and I knew it had to be this poltergeist. I knew I had to leave this house, but the poltergeist would block my path every time I tried to escape. I was seemingly trapped with the evil entity that had taken over my home. Ultimately, I was forced to call in a team of paranormal investigators and they confirmed my worst fears. A violent poltergeist infested my home. But with their help and many different ceremonies and banishing things, we eventually got the entity out of the house. But the memory of those long nights in that rural farm home will haunt me forever. UFO Experience by Jezebel B. First off, I love your channel. I have several stories I'd like to share. A couple are paranormal, some are cryptid, and some are kind of strange. But I'll try to be as detailed and precise as possible, and I will start with this first story. I want to describe what my daughter and I saw in 2011. I think it was because my daughter was around 9 or 10 years old at the time. We live in the Appalachian area of East Tennessee, about 30 minutes north of Knoxville, in a very rural county. We drove to my mom and dad's house for dinner around sunset. This is roughly a 5 mile trip from our home, and a very curvy, winding road is necessary to drive. My daughter was in the front passenger seat, and as we came around a sharp curve, there was a... I don't know how to describe it. Something or someone? Sitting like in the road. Close enough it startled me into swerving away. It was sitting on the edge of someone's driveway. With its back turned to the road and its feet stretched out in front of it. Its legs were short like it wouldn't be very tall. Maybe less than four feet. It looked almost like a Halloween dummy or something because it was dressed in a black coat and hunched over position. It was actually pretty close to Halloween, so it was very plausible that it was a decoration someone put there to startle drivers, or maybe they were just throwing it out. We slowed down to look at it, and oddly enough, I remember its hair very clearly for some reason. It caught my attention more than anything. It was long, black, and straight, also weirdly shiny. So anyway, we drove by this thing, looking at it, and this thing slowly turned around and looked back at us. It it was alive and it was not a dummy, as I had first assumed. I only got a brief glimpse of his face and it instantly reminded me of a rotten apple. It was very dark brown, black, and very wrinkly and wet looking. My daughter screamed and we immediately drove away quickly, so this short experience is all I have of it, but I do know what we both saw. Maybe it was a concise person in a Halloween costume, but the way they were sitting on a blind curve in the middle of nowhere really doesn't make any sense to me. My cousin lives about a half a mile away from where we saw this thing, and when I told her all about it, she was thoroughly freaked out because she had seen something very similar fitting that description crossing through her backyard a couple of nights previously. I don't know what the heck it was, but it hasn't been seen since by anyone I know. The UFO sighting I really wanted to write in about, though, occurred in a cemetery about a half a mile away from my house. As in the previous story, the identical cousin was with me, and her name was Nikki. It was summer, maybe 2012 or so, I can't remember the exact year, but we were sitting on the hood of my car in a small cemetery called Cumberland View, where we always often hung out because it was right between both of our houses. This is extremely close to the sighting of the Halloween creature that we mentioned a minute ago. Now, a bit of background about the cemetery. Our family is all buried there. So it wasn't very strange for us to park there and talk for hours on end about anything and everything. It's not like we were just loitering around some random dead people if you catch my drift. No drugs, no alcohol, neither of us touches the stuff. The cemetery is built on a hill with a church on top of the mountain to our left so where we were located we can only see the top half of the steeple of the roof. As we were talking, something above the church steeple in the sky caught our attention. At the same time, like neither of us said, hey look, we both looked at it. We noticed it within a few seconds. It had moved extremely fast and was directly over us in no time flat. It didn't seemingly stop, it just kept going and was gone as quickly as it appeared. It was absolutely enormous though. For one thing, It was shaped like a triangle, but the only other white light was directly in the center. The light was constant and bright, and it wasn't blinking or flashing. The second was that this thing was completely silent. There was not a single sound emanating from it, and it was shallow to the ground, as in like it looked like it was barely clearing the treetops. It was above the church, over our heads, and then out of sight within 30 seconds or less. We just looked at each other and got back in my car not even talking about anything until we reached her house. Then we were both like, okay, what the hell did we just see? We didn't tell many people probably because they wouldn't have believed us anyway, but we still bring it up to each other to this day. The possible missing time experience happened again with my cousin Nikki. We were only teenagers when this happened, sometime between 1996 and 1997. As I said before, we live in a very rural area, and we often went camping with her parents and brothers several times during the summers. Many other aunts and uncles and cousins would join us as well sometimes. We camped quote-unquote raw, as my uncle called it, just finding a spot on the bank of Norris Lake and pitching a few tents for a few weeks at a time. Our most frequented site was at Matty Beach, where you can only go with a four-wheeler or a four-wheel drive vehicle. But of course, I'm taking this way back in the woods, Because so many of us were there so often, we had a designated bathroom area located quite a ways away from the camp because, you know, no one wants to camp a few yards away from that. So Nikki and I had our tent on the farthest edge of the clearing and we woke each other up whenever we needed to go pee at night so we could use a buddy system and not walk through the woods alone. It's not that we were scared, these woods were familiar, even in the dark, but we weren't supposed to go alone at night according to my uncle's rules. In hindsight, they were good rules. So we get to the pea tree, and she does her business, and as she's finishing up, I decide I might as well go too since we are here. I am mid-pee and we hear something coming through the thick underbrush. At first, we assumed someone else had to use the bathroom as well, but when no one appears and the sound stops altogether, we could still hear the bugs and usual nighttime wood noises so it wasn't dead silent, but there was something close by that had stopped moving toward us. There are black bears in these woods, but we're pretty sure bears don't try to be sneaky like those noises sounded, but we never saw anything. After just a few minutes of us standing still and listening very intently, we shrugged and said whatever and went back to camp. But when we arrived back at the base, somehow, we were on the opposite side of where our tent was, as if we had somehow circled the entire place, which was impossible because as I said, we were very familiar with our surroundings, even in the dark." We were spooked and quickly got back into our tent. We never went back to sleep because it was almost dawn, but it was completely dark when we left to pee. Of course, this was before cell phones and we didn't have watches, so we couldn't swear we lost time. But how the hell did we leave camp, go directly to pee, stand listening to something sneaky in the woods for a few minutes, and then come from the opposite side seemingly a couple of hours later? I never told anyone, and we still talk about it every now and then. I posted a lot of these online and someone suggested the missing 411 phenomenon. We are located close to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. This last one is pretty short and straightforward, and it all happened in the house my son's father and I moved into. Nothing big, nothing too terribly scary, just weirdness, like the smoke detectors going off in the middle of the night for no reason, even when we would take the batteries out. There would never be a fire, but it would still scare the crap out of you. My sister always got a weird feeling in the main bedroom and the bathroom and refused to even go to that end of the house altogether after some time. My daughter's toys would make noises on their own in the middle of the night, and most often a doll she had would walk around. It was weird. I could swear you could hear these little doll feet moving, and then it would sometimes talk, but normally to make it talk you would have to squeeze it fairly hard. The most direct what-the-hell moment in that house happened in front of my two sisters and myself, We were sitting in the living room in the dark, watching a movie, with only the dining room light on for any sort of light. We hear a thump like a fist hitting the wall, and as we all turn to look, we all hear a clicking sound and the dining room light switch is flipped, like we saw the button physically flip off as if someone had stood there and turned it off. I had to get up and flip it back up, and the light came back on as if nothing had ever happened. We moved shortly after this, not directly because of these experiences, but because we had finally found a house we could afford. About 10 years or so go by, and I find out that my lawn guy was actually renting that same house and had very similar things going on. His wife finally asked the owner what was up and apparently the house next door was the scene of a murder-suicide years and years ago. Apparently a man cut his wife's throat and then hung himself. Not in the house we lived in though, so I don't know if that's the reason for the disturbances in our home specifically. Again, I apologize for the lengthy account. I wanted to be sure I could accurately describe what I recalled from these experiences. I sure hope you enjoyed them, and I hope it's okay to send them all together instead of separately. A Night in Horror by Electrical Line 6982 My name is Heinrich and I live in Sweden. I will tell you a story that happened to me years ago, but I will never forget it. The worst night and time of my life. I apologize already now that my English is not the best, but I hope you still understand anyway. In 2004, I worked as a forklift driver at a large furniture company in the small town of Huskvarna in Sweden. I loaded and unloaded trucks and collected goods that were going with them, I moved there after school with some friends, who also worked at the same company. I met a girl, and everything went well, and I lived life. But in 2007, it came to a break with my girlfriend, and my friends from school had started to move away, so I felt that I didn't have much left in Husqvarna. I started thinking about moving away, maybe going back home to my childhood town of Karlstad, which is 300 kilometers north. Where my parents and childhood friends still lived. Karlstad is close to the border with Norway, and one of my friends, Tobias, has started to work as a forklift driver for a Norwegian company in Oslo. A Swede earns almost three times more to work in Norway than in Sweden, so many Swedes try to get a job there. So when my friend Tobias in Norway said I could come to Oslo and look for a job at the company he worked for, I didn't hesitate. To get to Oslo from Huskvarna you must drive about an hour west towards Gothenburg, Sweden's second-largest city, and from there, move the other four hours on a highway called E6 with two lanes in both directions with some wire railing between the north-going side and the south-going side. The south-going side moves through primarily dense forest. In fall and wintertime, the E6 is heavily trafficked by trucks and other heavy vehicles. As a rule, trucks drive in the right lane, while other faster traffic goes in the left. But during August, many truck drivers are on vacation. So at the evenings and nights, E6 is pretty much empty. So on August 24th, 2007, I started traveling by car towards Oslo from Huskvarna, a distance of almost five hours. The idea was to stay for some hours or so and then go home again. So I left early in the morning and arrived at lunchtime in Oslo. I met my friend Tobias and got to go with him to his job and meet his boss. We talked and joked around and I immediately formed an excellent bond with the boss. And soon, I submitted my application to start working there. Afterward, my friend Tobias and I hung out at his apartment, we talked, ate, and had a good hangout. I forgot to pay attention to the time and then I noticed it was already 11 p.m., realizing I must go home now I said goodbye to my friend, jumped into my car, and began my five-hour journey home. I moved away from Oslo and went into the dark, dense forest for an hour. It was a full moon, so you could still see pretty well, even without streetlights. After driving for an hour and now finding myself with a dense forest on both sides of me, I see in the rear view mirror how a car, a Volvo 240, pulls up behind me very close. I don't drive too fast or too slow, and since it's a two-lane road, I think that if they're in a hurry, they can just overtake me in the other lane. After a while, they did overtake me and pass me, but then they turn right into the right corner of the road and stop in front of me. I must quickly turn into the left lane to avoid crashing into the Volvo. I look into the rearview mirror as I continue driving, and soon they get up behind me again and are very close. And soon they overtake me again, and this time they drive away a bit and then turn into the right lane. Again they stop, and then the back door of the Volvo opens, and a massive man in his 30s jumps out and walks toward my car. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable about this, so I'm definitely not going to stop. I turn around again, go into the left lane, and pass the man in the car. As I drive by, I see the man trying to grab the door on the passenger side of my car. Now, I absolutely panic and increase my speed to get away from them, but they catch up to me and do an overtake again. They stop a little way ahead, and soon the same man jumps out again and tries to make another attempt at my door. The drive continues and the same thing repeats itself over and over again. Soon I catch up with another car and I get behind this car, hoping that the people in the Volvo will get scared and give up because we are now not alone on the road anymore when I lay down behind this car they and the Volvo overtake me and the other vehicle and lay down in front of us. The vehicle between us must feel threatened because after some short time the car between us drives out on the left lane overtakes the Volvo chasing me and accelerates and soon disappears. I pick up my mobile and dial the emergency number for Sweden which is 112 but the automatic voice operator says the number is not in use. Since I'm in Norway the Swedish emergency number does not work, and I did not know the Norwegian emergency number right then and there, I call my dad and hope he's awake. My dad answers while the hunt continues in the same way as before. I explain with panic what is happening and want him to help me find the emergency number to Norway. My father is a very calm individual and rarely gets upset. He probably didn't understand the seriousness of the situation either, so he said, Take it easy, try to drive away from them and stop and then ask what they want. After a few attempts to get my dad to cooperate without success, he's clearly not getting it. So I hung up and threw the phone in frustration in the passenger seat so that it bounced down between the floor and the heart and disappeared under the passenger seat. Soon, I am approaching Halden, a small Norwegian town. I see a sign showing an exit lane to the right. I think that now I am saved. I can turn off the E6, and the car chasing me can hopefully leave me alone. But to turn into the exit lane, I have to slow down. When I slow down, the car chasing me comes and drives around up on the exit lane in front of me and parks across it at the end, so that I can't go off the exit lane and exit the E6 because they're now blocking me entirely. So with nowhere to turn, I have to continue on the E6, and the panic is now massive. I'm terrified and now I decide that they won't be allowed to overtake me again before I border to Sweden. So, I accelerate up to 160 kilometers an hour, and they don't manage to overtake me. They only tend to drive up so that they are almost level with me. I look towards them and see how four people in the car are sitting, shouting something at me, and lunging to try to run into my car with their vehicle. We will soon be coming up to a large suspension bridge between Norway and Sweden, I panic and think that if they run over me or if I lose control of the car at this speed, I will fall through the railing and down about 50 meters, if not more. But we get off the bridge, and shortly afterward, there is a small truck stop where trucks stop and rest and show customs officers what they have in their cargo. I quickly turn off, and those in the Volvo continue, and I see how they disappear on the E6. I stop in a parking lot inside the truck stop and just breathe. Now, finally, it's over. I thought, but it turned out this was far from over. I bent down toward the passenger seat and tried to find the mobile phone that was under there, but I can't find it, so I leave and walk towards the customs house, which is closed. But there is a payphone outside, and I pick up the phone and dial the emergency number 112 and arrive and get connected to the police. I explained what has happened and where I am now. They tell me to get back in the car and a police car will come within 10 minutes. I thank them and get back in the car, and I'm afraid those people in the Volvo will show up again after 40 minutes without the police. So, I go out to the phone and again call. They retake my report, and even though I say that I called and reported about 40 minutes ago, they tell me to again wait in my car, and the police will eventually be there. Although that I say that I'm happy to stay on the phone with them until the police arrive, but they promise me they'll be there in a few minutes. So, I hang up again. I go and sit down in the car and wait. Another 30 minutes pass without any police showing up. I sit and think about driving on. Partly I'm afraid that they'll come back here, and then I just want to go home. So after a few minutes and another attempt to find my cell phone under the seat with no success, I decide to drive on. It has been at least 90 minutes since I stopped here now, and the people in the Volvo have not come back here, So I think they are now moved on, and it must be far enough away for me to be able to start making my way home. I leave the truck stop and drive out onto the E6 again. I drive for just a few minutes and come to a left turn. When I make the turn and come around to the crest of a new straight, I see to my horror, this Volvo is parked in a small parking lot next to the road. I brake to a stop and immediately feel the panic. I'm standing about 50 meters away. I'm considering turning around and driving against traffic to avoid passing them. But I don't have time to think more because the back door opens, two people get out and start walking toward my car. Another person gets out of the passenger side. The Volvo then opens the trunk and starts picking something out that I can't quite see what it is. When the other two men start walking toward me, they turn to the left side of my car and start walking toward my door. Then, I don't even know, I don't even think, I just press my gas all the way to the bottom and drive away. I look in the rearview mirror and see silhouettes of the people running toward the Volvo again, and I now see from the lights of the Volvo. And I now see the lights from the Volvo start up and shine toward me. I now understand that they are now taking up the chase again. I keep driving and realize I have a bit of a lead now. I was looking in the rearview mirror and saw them in the distance. A badger runs out in front of my car when I look ahead again. I don't even have time to steer away. I just run it over with the left front of my back wheels. Right after I drive over, I hear something from the car scraping against the asphalt. Something has come loose after the collision. In panic and terror, I must get off the E6 now. Terrified that the car will break down and give up, soon there is a minor exit on the left which I quickly turn onto and get away from the E6. When I arrive a little way up, I see a sign from a small village that is about 2 kilometers away. I can't remember the name of the town now. So I start driving on this smaller road towards the village, and I still hear how it scrapes under the car. Then I see a small forest and to the right at the turn in the street, I no longer see the Volvo in the rearview mirror. And in a panic to get far away from the E6 and big roads, I turn into this forest road and continue into the trees. The road is very narrow. There are two ruts, the grass is in the middle, and around the car are large trees. I drive further into the forest road until I come to an end of the road, And it's just more forest. I managed to turn the car around, and now I'm facing the direction I came from. I turn off the engine and exhale. Everything around me is quiet and dark, but soon I can see between the trees far away two headlights approaching. The panic returns. They have seen where I turned off somehow, and now they are coming yet again. I see it's them, and when they break through the trees, I realize now that it's just survival that counts. I take my wallet and car keys. The mobile is where it is. I get out of the car, close and lock it. I put my wallet in my pocket, turn around, and start running into the forest as fast as possible. I hear people in the Volvo calling for me. I run more profoundly and deeper into the woods. After some time, I reach a small clearing and see a large stone under a very big tree. I climb onto that rock, grab the tree branches, and climb up. There are thick leaves on the components and soon I have risen to the middle of the tree and I am entirely hidden. I sit down on a thick branch against the tree trunk, breathe and listen. I am convinced that I will not survive this night. They will find me, and now I can do no more to get away. And no one knows where I am. I think of my friends and my parents. Will they ever find me out here? Will they ever know what happened to me, or will I just become a missing person case? When I sit and I think about it, I hear how they are walking in the forest looking for me in the distance, shouting, we'll find you. But luckily, they never came near my tree. I hear how they get deeper and deeper into the forest, but soon they turn and go back. I see everything through the leaves, their flashlights as they search through the woods. I soon hear how they continue back towards the cars. Then it's quiet. I dare not leave the tree. I stay there until it's morning and the sun has risen. Then, I climb down very slowly and very thoroughly and walk quietly back towards the car. At this point, I'm absolutely terrified that they will be standing there waiting. I'm pretty sure they wrecked my car, but when I go to the road again, I see my car. The Volvo is nowhere to be found. It seems they haven't even touched my car. After this, I just, I just went home. I tried to forget all about it. Until this day, I don't know what their case was all about and what they wanted. Or what would have happened if I had let them talk to me? Honestly, I'm terrified to find out. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true rural horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. Now, I can't tell you how terrifying it can be living out in the middle of nowhere. Whether you're living on farmland, whether you're just living in a place that doesn't have many people, or you're somewhere deep in the woods, you never know what's lurking in the shadows. It can be terrifying human beings, monstrous beasts, or anything in between. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps us out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that's very helpful to the swamp. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new upload as I upload them nearly every single day. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at SwampDweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you find podcasts online. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcast, it would be very appreciated if you could give this show a 5-star rating on those platforms as it helps me grow over there. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting The Swamp. I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.